Amen. Now go ahead and have a seat. I've been a fan of him from when he posted his first video, and I'll be his fan until he posts his last video. You hear these stories how tough it is for adults? He's 16, and he's doing it all on his own. The first time we met, he almost passed me by. Thought you'd always be mine. He's yeah. such an inspiration. He came from, like, such a small town. It gives us hope. I think to myself, I was once chilling in my room just in a regular place, and now I'm in this big world. It's just crazy how it all came around. There's gonna be times where people tell you that you can't live your dreams. This is what I tell them. I'm thrilled that you guys have joined us. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus. And if you are visiting for the first time to Southwood, or if you've been here since we opened in 2008, I'm sure everyone's a little shocked as to why Justin Bieber has entered our midst, right? Uh, Have we lost it this morning here at Southwood? Have we gone off the handle? I've never heard so much hissing on a Sunday morning here at church. But uh, we are excited that you guys are here. I know some of y'all are a little bit shocked, a little bit surprised with the Justin Bieber thing. I I think a lot of y'all shock and surprise have nothing to do with the fact that you guys are unfamiliar with Bieber, right? Uh, This is church, don't lie. If I looked at your iPod, I'd find some Bieber on it, I assume, right? Uh, Some of you guys are also wondering why Bieber right after worship. Uh, I think if we're all honest with each other, if you've seen that movie, Never Say Never, it is a sociological case study of worship, right? Uh, Millions of teenage girls fawning and throwing their entire selves at this guy in worship, right? It has everything to do with worship. Really, I think it's a great intro for us at the beginning of a semester, though. The message of that movie is the same message that you and I have heard in different ways and in different means throughout much of our life. The idea that you can be anything that you want to be, that you could do anything that you want to do, never say never to your dreams. It's a message that you and I have heard growing up from well-meaning parents, from well-meaning teachers who wanted to encourage us that we could do anything and that we could be anyone. And yet the reality is that could not be farther from the truth, right? I think in many ways, a lot of the reality TV shows like American Idol, they're incredibly popular and entertaining because you have some really talented people who can capture your imagination and wow you. I think they're also quite a bit entertaining because you have some people who have absolutely zero self-awareness that they cannot sing to save their life. Amen, right? And that's partly why it's entertaining because these people have grown up thinking, I can do anything, I can be anything, but the reality is you can't. You can't be anything you want to be. You can't do anything that you want to do. And I think none of us are that crazy, but a lot of us, as we begin a new semester this morning, some of us a new year, for some of us, if you're the class of 2015, your first career and your first time here at Texas A&M University or at Blinn, right? Uh, And so all of us, whether we're freshmen, whether we're seniors, we have all kinds of visions and dreams as to what this semester and this year will hold. If you're a freshman, you may have owned your high school campus. You may be coming to Texas A&M or to Blinn, and you may think that you're going to make a 4-0, and you're going to be a social king on this campus, right? And then come tomorrow and come Tuesday, you're going to be a lost puppy, not knowing where your classes are, and your 4.0 just went down the drain, right? Because you can't find your class, all right? Some of you guys are laughing. They're a little bit older, sophomores and juniors here. You guys have coming back to A&M thinking, I can't wait to get back to college when I have all kinds of time, all kinds of free time to hang with friends, do a bunch of fun stuff. And then Monday and Tuesday, a flood of syllabi hit you, right? And you just realize that your life is over and your professors own you, right? 
all the visions and the dreams that you had for this year go again down the tube and down the toilet, right? And then there are those of you who are seniors, right? Those of you who are maybe fifth year, sixth year seniors, it's okay. You can identify yourself. And your dreams and your visions this year are that you are going to graduate. You haven't yet. Why do you think it will be this year, right? Or maybe some of y'all were like me going into my senior year, my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year. were like a barren wasteland romantically, all right? I couldn't get a date to save my life. I got rejected about eight times through those three years, all right? And I thought, senior year, I'm going to find my wife, right? I actually did, all right? Uh, <laughs> but I don't know about you guys, all right? So... You know, I think as we begin a new semester, it doesn't matter where we are, we have all kinds of dreams, all kinds of visions as to what this year is going to be like. And as we begin a new year, I think what we've got to realize is that a lot of our dreams, a lot of our visions are wrapped around things and wrapped around people that will disappoint us this year. A lot of our dreams, a lot of our visions, the things that we're anticipating and expecting, by and large, often are wrapped around things that cannot guarantee that which they promise they will provide us, Right? And what we need this semester as we begin, we need a reminder about a hope that is sure and steadfast. What we need is a hope that's linked to a person that hasn't just risen from obscurity to the worship of millions of teenage girls. But what we need is a hope that's attached to one who's risen from, the, from death and the grave to resurrection and new life and who will one day be exalted over all things. And so we're going to begin this morning looking at that hope. Particularly, we're going to see this morning that we have a hope that is certain and clear regarding the future. We may not know what's coming this semester, this year, but we do know what's coming in the future that's not as distant as we think. And if you will, look with me, open your Bibles to the end of your Bible, the last book, the book of Revelation. We're going to end, or begin this semester at the end of your Bible. We're going to actually kick off a series this morning in which we're going to talk about heaven and hell uh, for the first half of the fall. Uh, We're going to spend the first half of the fall asking the question, hey, what is heaven? What's going to happen in heaven? We're going to look at what is hell? Do heaven and hell exist? Are they real places? And if so, uh, what do we make of those places? So we're going to spend the first part of the fall really looking at those things. We're going to be tackling some topics that we don't normally get to on a Sunday morning. And so I think I'm really excited about this series this fall. The latter half of the fall, we'll, we'll look at the fact that if that is so certain of what's to come, heaven and hell, then how do you and I live here and now? So the first half of the fall, heaven and hell. The second half of the fall, the here and now. How do we merge the future with the present and not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? And so we're going to try to wed those together as we walk through this fall. So I hope you guys will join us. But look with me, if you will, Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, Apostle John, sorry, tells us in chapter 1, we're going to look through verses 1 to 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Will you pray with me? 
Father God, we give you great thanks uh, for your son, Jesus Christ. I give you thanks that he was present at creation, uh, that he died in our place on a cross so that we could have life, and that he'll return one day, and we anticipate that day. We look forward to that day with anticipation and with certainty that he will return, and he will right all that is wrong. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as we open and we begin a new semester and we open with our first Sunday morning, Lord, I pray that you would convince us as to the certainty of the future. Father, I pray that you'd also reorient our hopes and the trajectory of our hopes after the things that are linked to you. Father, I pray you'd allow us to anticipate a day that is coming that is surely sure. And Father, I pray that you allow our hearts to be captured by that day. Father, may you use this time however you see fit. May you use my words as you see fit. And may you give us an openness, a softness of heart uh, to respond to you and to place our dreams, our hopes in your hands. And if it means that we have to exchange those hopes, Lord, I pray that you'd give us a heart for the things of you that you give us a sense of vision of what you're bringing in the future, even more confidently, even more certainly than anything that we anticipate, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Revelations chapter 1, really what I want to hit us with this morning is that there's a vision of the future that's coming, and it's absolutely clear and certain. The question I want to kind of kick us off with this morning, though, is why is that future so certain? Why can we have such confidence and clarity as to what is coming in the future? Really, I think it starts with the fact that our God has spoken. Look with me, if you will, back to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And I want to just reiterate back through these verses. And I want you to hear how many of the words that are in here that denote God's communication to you and I. God has not left us in the dark about life, about death, or even about the future. But he's spoken and he's revealed himself. Notice verses 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Even the word revelation, the word that denotes this book itself, literally means disclosure, unveiling. It is a revealing. God has spoken and he's revealed and disclosed what he intends for the future to be. Furthermore, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. Not just that we would hear, but that we could even see. The things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Notice even verses one and two to note that God has spoken clearly, powerfully, abundantly. And we're going to spend some time this fall looking through other portions of the book of Revelations and I will give it to you. It takes me about one more chapter in the book of Revelations and I'm already confused at parts, okay? Uh, Book of Revelations, there's dragons, there's beasts with eyes and horns. It's just crazy. It's like a sci-fi movie. I don't know what's going on, all right? And yet God has communicated enough for us to get a real clear sense of what is coming. We may not be able to fill in all the gaps and all the details and explain all the little crazy weird dragons and aliens and beasts, all right, throughout the book of Revelation, but we really can get a clear sense that God has spoken not to confuse us. And sure, as we look through the scriptures, there's a lot that's sometimes hard to understand, but God doesn't speak to confuse us. God has spoken to provide clarity and so that we can have confidence how to live, and particularly when we talk about the future, confidence to know what's coming because he's spoken. And it's not just that he's spoken. It's not just that John is going to get to hear a voice in Revelation 1. But we're going to find from the second half of the chapter, it's not just that he's going to hear a voice, but in particular, he's going to see a person. And he's going to see one who can not just talk and talk, but one who can actually walk the walk. It's not just that our God has spoken, but our God is sovereign. 
It's not just that he can communicate to us what's going to happen, but he's able to pull it off and deliver what he's promised. I had a friend in high school, uh, a lot of us affectionately, or maybe not so affectionately, referred to him as Tinkerbell, all right? Um, and you may gather from the nickname that uh, uh, he was not the j- biggest uh, giant dude in the world, all right? In fact, what was ironic about him, though, was the fact that he often would uh, try to pick a fight. And so he would try to bully anybody. It didn't matter how big the competitor was. It didn't matter how big the person was. He thought he could take you. And so he would often try to pick a fight each and every day that he was in school, all right? And it wasn't just fights physically. He would try to pick fights intellectually. He wanted to own you in every way, shape, and form. But the reality was, it was he was 120 pounds on a good day, all right? Soaking wet with boots on, all right? A, a slight wind would have snapped him like a twig, all right? And so the problem was, you heard his voice, but you took a look at him and you just laughed and dismissed him, right? Notice, though, what happens. John is going to get a picture of an ascended, glorified Jesus Christ. Look at the picture he gets. Look with me, uh, verses 12 to 19. John's not going to just hear. He's going to see as well. John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. It's not just that John is going to hear this voice speaking, but he's going to see him who is speaking, and notice John's response. Verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and things which are and the things which will take place after these things. John not just hears, but he sees the one who's speaking. And, and by placing his eyes on the one who's speaking, he's absolutely convinced that what this person is saying is going to come true. And so he begins to write just as Jesus leads him to write. Just as Jesus begins to provide clarity as to exactly what's coming in the future. John was not confused that this one had spoken and that this one was sovereign. That he had promised and that he could pull it off. That he would deliver. I think in many ways as you look at this passage as, as Jesus responds to him, you get a sense of not just in a sense the divine uh, appearance, but you get a sense of divine proof. Notice a couple of things that Jesus says. He says, one, that I was dead and I am alive forevermore. That it is the resurrection that comes in the aftermath of the crucifixion that gives us confidence that what this person has said will come true in the future. He's promised that for those that know him eternal life, but how do you and I bank on that promise? We can bank on it because we see one who's preceded us. This is why John says he is the firstborn from the dead. He's our forerunner. He's the one who has died, resurrected, and therefore we can have confidence that we will follow. But it's not just that he's proof in his resurrection, but he's also got proof in that he's holding some keys. Do you notice that? He says, I have the keys of death and of Hades. Keys to me have always kind of recognized authority and access. So this year here at our Southwood campus, we have four college interns. Uh, Tyler Kern, who leads worship. Kelsey Bell is who you'll see. Uh, we have uh, Titus Bagaby and we have Roger Jones. And they started work a few weeks ago. And then a week later, they got their keys. And I've always noticed for them as they get their keys, it's their first sense of feeling legitimate, right? <laughs> uh, they have keys, now they now have access, they now have authority to go wherever they please. They think they now own this place, right? And I think the keys have always seen that. Keys always represent authority, access, and power. And so Jesus says, it's not just that I'm resurrected, but I own death and Hades. 
You could have confidence in me because I've beaten them. I'm victorious. And so it's not just that he can promise us something, but he can deliver on it. But the question is, as we're going to look through this semester, is what is he going to deliver? What is exactly is coming in the future? I think what we're going to see is that particularly that universal victory is coming. We worship a king who is not just risen and resurrected and ascended, but one who will one day return and establish a universal kingdom. Look with me again, verses 4 to 6, and I want you guys to notice all the words that denote Jesus' reign or rule. Look with me, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom. Priest to his God and the Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Make no mistake about it, what is coming in the future is a universal kingdom that Jesus Christ will establish on the earth over all kings. That is what is coming in the future. In fact, Revelations 1 will tell us and show us exactly how his kingdom will look. But I think if you really think about it, any movie, uh, any book, any game that is about, in a sense, the future is always about who is going to have control. Uh, One of my favorite games is Risk. It's the game of global conquest, right? Uh, Some of you guys might prefer the more medieval version, Settlers of Catan, right? Uh, Again, it's about who's going to own the world, all right? Uh, And if I haven't lost all of your respect with Justin Bieber this morning, I'll go one step further and confess to you guys that I've been reading the Hunger Games this summer amazing, all right? I just started the second book yesterday, loving it. But again, what is it about? It's a picture of the future and what's central to the picture. It's a government that's going to rule and reign over the entire earth, and they have quite a vicious rule if you know the books, right? And so the picture of the future, if anyone ever casts and paints, is always about rule kingdoms and conquering globally, all right? And it's no different in Revelation. The difference, though, is that we're going to have a king who is unlike any other king before and any other competitor in a game. Because we have a king who's victorious, and how do we see his victory? We see it over, in a sense, three things. First, we see that his victory is over sin. Notice in chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, to him who loves us and has released us from our sins by his blood. We have a king who is victorious over sin. He owns sin. At his death on a cross, he, he wiped away the penalty for our sins so that sin would not own you and I. It's not just that he wiped away the penalty for our sins by even walking with him. For those that know Jesus Christ, he's breaking the power of sin in our life. And the day is going to come when we're in his presence and sin itself and its presence will be eradicated from our lives. Christ is victorious over sin. It's also victorious over death. We see the end of chapter one that he has the keys of death and Hades. He owns them. First Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your sting? The reality is Jesus Christ has swallowed death whole. Now, death still stings because we're still waiting on a day for this king to return and establish his kingdom. And when it is established, death will be no more. This king owns sin and he owns death. And he owns all other enemies as well. So look through the rest of Revelation. What we're going to find is that uh, God will, will banish Satan and the fallen angels and all those who have opposed them away from his presence for eternal destruction and torment. So we're going to talk a lot about hell, and it's an incredibly difficult topic, but what you see over and over clearly again from Revelation is that Jesus will set up an eternal kingdom on earth, and he will be victorious over sin, death, and all those who oppose him. None will resist him, none can, because he is the Alpha and he's the Omega. He was present at creation, and he's going to be present at the consummation of all things. He is unlike any other king who has been and who will come again. He will own all of human history and all of the earth. 
And so this result of that, really what we see, the gospel or the good news that Jesus Christ offers is always about his victory over these things. And so the gospel is always about rescue. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news for you is that Jesus has rescued you from all of these things. Sin does not have to own you. Death does not have to scare you. Jesus is victorious over all of these things. And in him, we find refuge from these things. And yet it is only in him that we can find refuge because it's only in him that we have one who died on a cross in our place so that we would not receive the penalty of sin, that which has separated us from God. And not only that, but that we can have assurance that we can approach this God because he's dealt with our sin so that we can have access and freedom to approach him with confidence and we can have relationship restored. And we can have confidence that's coming in the future when we will one day be back in his presence. And what the gospel is, is it's good news of a free offer. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. He purchased our salvation. He paid the entire cost so that you and I do not have to. It's a free gift for you and I. All that we have to do to receive forgiveness of sins, eternal life, is just receive that free gift and say thank you. Actually, what we see of the future that's come is because of his universal victory, what we're going to see in the future is universal worship. Because he's going to be victorious over all, worship will occur universally to this king. In fact, notice back in chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. When that day of that king returns, there will be a universal response to him. In fact, one of my favorite uh, sections in the book of Revelation comes in chapter 5, and you get this picture of worship that's coming in the future. Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. They fell down before the Lamb, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's not just that this king will be victorious over all of the earth and set up a kingdom, but in this kingdom he will be universally worshipped. Men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will surround his throne and exalt him and praise him for the king that he is, a king unlike any other king. And so you have a picture of what's coming of universal worship. And so the task that you and I as a church have been given is the one that Jesus left his disciples right before he left them. And the end was in mind as he said to his disciples and therefore to you and I, here is what is our task as a people, as a church, as followers of God. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, we call it the great commission. He said this, Christ says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you guys catch that? That you and I have a task that is going to be temporary. You and I have a task that is going to be universal. You and I are called to make disciples of all the nations. Not just here at the campus of Texas A&M University or at Blinn, but you and I have been called outside of the Bryan College Station area to the state of Texas, to America, and to the world at large. And so our task as a church, our task as the people of God is to proclaim him who is worthy universally. That is our job. If you're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ, you are a representative of him with a message that you are called to proclaim as you represent him in a world that's watching, wanting to know, who are you? Who is this Jesus? In fact, uh, John Piper puts it like this, speaking of missions, really, and he says what missions is, is, is an establishment of worship where it's not. Notice what Piper says of missions. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. 
When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Again, where are we moving? Where is all of human history moving towards? It's moving toward a picture of a universal kingdom and universal worship of a king who is unlike any other. And so the task that you and I have is to declare and to allow people to know of this king who is returning because many do not know him. And the job that you and I have is a temporary job, which is why Christ says the end of it until, until I return in a sense that it's just a temporary job. In fact, uh, it is our job as a church, and we're going to do it from the first Sunday that you're here to the last Sunday that we have you, however long that is, to put the call that you have to make disciples of all nations in front of you in every way that we can. So if you're in this main part of the room, you're going to notice we're going to have pictures on the walls, and it's of each of our locations across the world that we send the students to every year and every summer, in East Asia, in North Africa, uh, and in Greece places that we sin and move to see the gospel proclaimed in places that worship does not exist. And it's not just to the ends of the earth, it's even right to your classrooms. The job that you and I have as the people of God is to make proclamation of this king who is coming, who provides life where there was death, who provides honor and glory where there was shame. He is a restorer and a redeemer, and it is our job to proclaim him. So that is the job that we've been given. For us as a church, we've said it like this, that our job as Grace Bible Church, especially with college students like you guys in mind, is that we are going to raise up next generation leaders to reach our world for Christ. We realize that we as a church have the opportunity to lead and to steward you guys for a short time. And so our desire and our hope is to build you guys up in your faith so that as you guys take off from us one day, no matter the vocation, we want you guys to be equipped and to be armed to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. We had an elder who passed away and we referred to our college ministry and to you as college students as the tip of our spear. Uh, not the idea that you guys are the front line and you guys are going to be the ones that die in a battle, all right? Uh, uh, but the idea was that in our uh, attack of the kingdom of darkness and our uh, conflict with Satan himself, college students really are one of our most strategic investments as a church because you guys have mobility, you guys have passion, you have faith, and you have the opportunity when you take off from here to make an impact far beyond any place we can reach. So here on a Sunday morning like today, there are more than 50% of the people that have come to Grace Bible are college students. <laughs> Our heartbeat is you guys. Our church exists to help steward, lead, and challenge you guys. And we're going to push y'all and call you to Christ. And our hope is that you guys would come to Christ, some for the first time. And maybe that day is today. Some of you guys, our hope is that you guys would grow in your faith, learn to serve, learn to lead, learn to find your gifts. We want to see you guys push and develop in your faith. This is not a place that you're going to find that you can be comfortable by just sitting. We're going to challenge you, we're going to call you, and we're going to push you. Because our goal and our hope as a church is to see you developed in your faith. Because our hope is that when you guys leave us, however soon that may be, that you guys would have an impact across the world in places that we can never reach and we will never go into vocations that I will never be able to step into, and into offices and into homes and into countries that we will never get a chance to go. That's our vision as a church. That's our call as a church. And the reality, though, is... Much of what we're talking about of the future that's to come is so far away, it feels, right? And we're going to talk all fall about heaven and hell, things that seem so incredibly far away. And so the question really is, why should we care? If this hope, this vision of the future is clear and it's certain, but for us, it seems so far, why should we care? Why does it matter? The reality is our hope is absolutely essential to our lives. In fact, it's been said, uh, our hope is something that is absolutely necessary in our human condition. Therefore, it is inevitable that we will hope. It's been said like this, a person can live 40 days without food, three days without water, 12 minutes without air, and one second without hope. Hope is absolutely essential to our lives. 
We cannot live without it because you and I will hope in something. The question, though, is what will we place our hopes in? As we begin a new semester, as we begin a new year, what is, in a sense, the trajectory of our hopes? Where are we placing our visions and our dreams? What are they wrapped around and who are they wrapped around? Interesting enough, I think that the trajectory of our hope will determine its vitality. That the trajectory of our hope will determine its vitality, its strength, and whether it can sustain us. One of my favorite quotes, a guy named Louis Smead says this in his book, Standing on the Promises. He says this, Hope is so close to the core of all that makes us human that when we lose it, we lose something of our very selves. Let me put it as baldly as I can. There is nothing, repeat, nothing more critical for any of us, young or old, or anything in between than the vitality of our hope. I think he hits the nail right on the head. You and I will inevitably hope for something. But the question is, what will we hope in? Because the entity or the trajectory of our hope will determine its vitality and its strength and its ability to sustain us. So let me ask you this morning, where is your hope as we begin a new year? What is your hope being wrapped around? What is your hope going, and what kind of hope will sustain you? I think for so many of us, and it's absolutely natural, as we begin a new semester and a new year, our hope is attached to things and to people that will disappoint us and leave us disillusioned. Because our hope is so short-sighted. And what I want to do this morning is, in a sense, uh, raise your eyes and cause your gaze to lift to see a hope that is coming of the future that is absolutely clear and absolutely certain. And for many of us, sure, we can be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. We're going to try to wed those together in the latter part of the fall. But I think for the great majority of us, sometimes we can be so earthly minded that heaven seems irrelevant and it doesn't excite us and we don't anticipate it at all. I mean, what is heaven? A bunch of weird angels just playing the harps for the entire eternity. That doesn't sound exciting at all, right? So we're going to try to paint a picture. We're going to try to explain it and take a look at what really heaven is. What is it that we're actually looking forward to? Because it is incredibly exciting and it is all that we're wired to be and all that we're wired to want. So let me ask you this morning, as you begin a new semester, what is your hope wrapped around? What are your hopes and who are your hopes wrapped around? Are they wrapped around things and people that will disappoint? Are they wrapped around something and a person who's coming who will be all that we hope he could be and to do all with the world that we hope it could be done with? Ultimately, we're placing a hope and we have a hope that's connected to Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead and who's going to establish a universal kingdom and our hope is certain as it's linked to him. So what I want to do for us this morning as we wrap up, actually going to wrap up a little early this morning, is allow us to respond in worship. I want us to be able to have a chance just to respond in worship this morning, proclaiming him who is coming, him who is our security, him who is our foundation. And then I'll close this in prayer. Father God, we give you great thanks that your son, Jesus Christ, would intervene in human history in the form of a mere child, a mere baby. And that in him we'd have one who would come and redeem us for sin, from death, and from all enemies. And Father, I thank you that even a resurrected, ascended Jesus is not an absent king. That he doesn't just hold a future secure that is far away, distant, but he holds all of our dreams, all of our visions, all of our lives right now. And Father, I pray that as we begin a new year and a new semester, Lord, I pray that we would put ourselves in your hands, trusting you that all that uh, comes is that which you have provided and planned for. Lord, I pray that we find in you confidence and peace and find in you a security found nowhere else. Father, I pray that you would grow us, that you would shape us, that you would lead us this semester and that you'd use us for your glory and for your purposes, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.
Well, thanks for being here this morning. We were wrapping up a little early, and so we have tables in the back that we'd love to help answer questions for you guys. If you're looking to try to get involved, we're here to help answer those questions. So we will see you guys next week. Uh, If you have any questions, come find us. We're so thankful to have you guys here.